When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with Luis Miguel Echegaray. How are you? What's up? I love the energy you bring to this on a Monday morning. I know. Three coffees will do that to you. <laughs> Lots to talk about, my friend. Just looking ahead at the podcast here, we're going to start, as always, with the Premier League. Uh, we're going to talk Liverpool, Chelsea, and third straight game, Christian Pulisic not playing at all for Chelsea. We're going to talk Man City destroying Watford, Spurs, and Leicester, and VAR in that game. Uh, looking ahead also, too, uh, we're going to be talking Europe, Barcelona struggling 2 nothing loss to Granada of all teams and asking the question if Ernesto Valverde is in trouble. Uh, we're going to talk about Real Madrid getting a win at Sevilla and Inter winning the Milan Derby. Then we're going to talk about the U.S. game, MLS and its stretch run. Uh, we're going to talk a little Joseph Martinez and his injury. We're going to talk the playoff race in MLS and in the NWSL. Then we're going to hit a couple other things, including Neymar doing it again for PSG. But first... My friend, I had a celebrity sighting last week. Talk to me. Okay. So my local soccer bar in New York City is called Smithfield. It's on West 25th Street. It's frighteningly close to where I live. This is much as I want to give away there. (laughs) But Everybody Google mapping right now. It's a great place to watch Champions League, and especially in the group stages when there's a lot of different games to watch. It's it's good to have different screens. But sometimes you get a celebrity walking in, and I I come in the other day on Tuesday, and Ronald Koeman's just sitting there, like right inside the entrance. Wait, what? This is Barcelona legend Ronald Koeman and also the Dutch national team coach Ronald Koeman just sitting there, hanging out. He's just having a beer and just watching the game? He was. And what was interesting was Barcelona, you know, this is Barcelona legend, Ronald Koeman scored winning goal in the, what, 90-something Champions League final, 92? Right, yeah. Um, He's not watching the Barcelona game. What was he watching? He's watching the Ajax game. Well, of course. He's checking after his own, uh, you know. He's the Dutch man's national team He's got to take care. He's got to scout. True. True. What's so, he do- Wait, he lives here, do you think? Part of it? Or? No, no. He was just visiting, he said. What was interesting was I had got a little reporting later on that okay. he was sitting next to a guy who was like the wealthiest man in Holland, like some <laughs> billionaire media guy who I didn't recognize. I don't recognize Dutch media. Did he look magnets. like the wealthiest man in Holland? Uh, no, he looked like a big Ajax fan, basically. <laughs> uh, very much celebrating uh, when they scored against Lille. Uh, it's an Alvarez, baby. Kuma ends up leaving at halftime. I introduced myself to him, okay. but I felt kind of bad because I got there like two minutes after kick. Yeah, and that's I, a and bad So the time. first thing I said was, you're watching the game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to bug you. I just want to introduce myself, but you're watching the game. So was I'll he nice later. or was he, because uh, you know, the Dutch are so nice. He was friendly enough considering I was saying hello at like once the game had started. And that was it. Pretty much. That reminds me when I was in acting school and me, it was me and my friend who she knew nothing about. She knows nothing about the game. Yeah. And we're walking by and we're in Soho 
and we pass by this um, you know store or whatever, and I see next to me is another couple just looking at this store, and it's Thierry Henry. And his then, uh, you know, partner. And this was during uh, the time when he was injured while Arsenal. And he was just here for like a winter break. Mm -hmm. And my friend, who knows nothing about the game, was like, oh, is this your friend from college? Nice. And I was like, no, this is Tiara. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so come to New York. You're going to see a lot of uh, great, uh, you know, soccer names, right? Random soccer people just <laughs> pop up around New York City when you don't even know it. Love um, it. Also, I wanted to say Serginho Dest was playing in that Ajax game. He I wanted wasn't. to say to Kuman, just like, lay off that kid. He wants to be American. <laughs> he wants to play for the United Wait, States. Wait, you should have said that. You didn't? Because I'd already spoken to him and interrupted him while the game was on. I think at that point he would just have been really <laughs> He was already mad. If you had said that, he would have been like, you know what? Now I'm going to give him 90 minutes every this, game. This guy's a stalker. <laughs> so let's talk Premier League here. Let's uh, do it. Chelsea... One, Liverpool two. Liverpool remains perfect after six games in the Premier League. Five-point lead on Man City. 15 straight wins in the league for Liverpool going back to last season. Pretty incredible at this point. And in this game, two good set-piece goals, but they, Liverpool not at, at its best. No, no. I mean, listen, you're going to get the same kind of start. Right. Actually, you're going to get the exact same start as, as, as last season. That's exactly what Liverpool did. Six straight wins from the beginning of the campaign. You know what this Liverpool team brings. If, you want to, if you're a Liverpool fan and you want Liverpool to win the Premier League, you have to wait around Christmas time mm -hmm. and January and February to see, okay, have we learned anything from last season? Just because it takes its toll. But when we're thinking specifically about this game, I think there's a lot of optimism to even take from Chelsea's side, actually. Uh, you know, Chelsea did fight back, you know, thanks to N'Golo Kante's goal, but there were many opportunities uh, that Chelsea could have done to equalize. So it's refreshing to see, specifically with this Chelsea young side, to fight against a team that was going and did indeed get that perfect start. Liverpool, on the other hand, you know, let's remember that it's also coming off a loss at Napoli. They've already traveled. I mean, Chelsea, of course, also, but, you know, there is something to be said about Liverpool going somewhere where they knew it was going to be a hostile environment in Stamford Bridge, and, and they took care of business. I mean, you know, like you said, it was two set pieces, two wonderful set pieces. Trent Alexander-Arnold's free kick. I thought yeah. the ball was going to go beyond the net. And Roberto Firmino, of course. But there are some areas where Jurgen Klopp knows he has to, uh, you know, take care of. In the article that uh, Jonathan Wilson wrote for us this weekend, you know, interviewing, or at least in the press conference with Jurgen Klopp, one of the main things that he said was, listen, above overall performance, what was I impressed with was character. Mm -hmm. This Liverpool side show me character. And that's not a surprise to anybody. That's really the the potion, the magic potion that makes this Liverpool team so great. They start losing a couple of key players or they get a tough run in the next few months. Then we have to talk about character again. But, you know, three points and a perfect start. One thing I also want to say, and this is just a personal pet peeve, is I've seen the second goal that Firmino gets, he's pretty open on that set piece in front of the goal. I've seen zonal marking blamed yet again for this. There's nothing wrong with zonal marking as long as you do it right. right. Just as there's nothing wrong with man marking 
as long as you do it right. But don't come to me blaming zonal marking as a concept for giving up that goal. Yeah, it's not a philosophy that's not, you know, a bad one or a good one. It's just about how you apply it. And, you know, I think you raise a really good point. I mean, I was talking about optimism for Chelsea, but Frank Lampard, you know, you know that this team's going to score goals. you got to start defending. Because, you know, I think eventually it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to creep up. And we talk about, obviously, you know, Fikayo Tomori at the back, you know, such a young, great center back. But, you know, there's still many cracks uh, for this team. And this team is learning and they will learn. But, yeah, you're right. It's nothing to do with, you know, what kind of style or strategy you use, man marking or sonal. It's just how you apply it. And for Chelsea, this is about as happy as you'll ever see a Stanford Bridge crowd after a loss. Yeah. I, I would think. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, what they're going through right now is dealing with a transfer ban, lots of young guys playing, um, and being asked to do a lot. Uh, some formational tinkering, you know, we've seen Lampard move to three at the back uh, for a lot of the last uh, couple of games, several games. Um, and Conte coming back, and and he's just such a, a useful player to have, and I, I mean, think he can make a real difference if he's going to be playing full time again. You don't even expect him to score a goal, and then he scores a tremendous goal as well, and and just brings so much to that team uh, that if he can get a good run of games going, uh, and they can kind of get past this, can you know Conte and Jorginho figure out how to play side by side, which I think they can do. I, I think that's room for optimism for Chelsea, aside from the young guys. But we are an American podcast here. Christian Pulisic, three straight games, zero minutes. And um, I wanted to bring up a quote because Lampard was asked after the game uh, by uh, NBC's Joe Prince Wright uh, and was asked uh, after three injuries suffered to Chelsea players during the defeat to Liverpool. I had to make two injury substitutions. Lampard said that was not the reason that Pulisic didn't play. Quote, Frank Lampard, he wasn't a victim of the injuries. I've got a squad to pick from. Before that, Pulisic had played a few games. William has come back in and been sharp and looked good. I decided to go with Mason Mount today because we needed to stay strong in midfield and play Mason high up the pitch. That is my choice to make. He will get ample opportunities, Pulisic. He's a young player as well as everyone is talking about Mason and Tammy and Fikayo. He is actually as young, if not younger than some of them. His chances will come. Interesting, though, that Lampard went out of his way to, to say it wasn't the injury situations, basically saying even if we hadn't had to make these injury subs, I would not have used Christian Pulisic. Which is kind of what we've been talking about. I mean, one of the major things that I talked about, you know, to you about this is trust. Right. Frank Lampard trusts Mason Mount from the Derby season last season. And obviously, listen, this, I think that's another thing that not many people are talking about right now. It's like Frank Lampard, you know, is a central midfielder by trade. And he understands that role from a central midfielder to an attacking central midfielder. And I think that he sees as Mason Mount, not necessarily just as a wide man, but also like as a libero, right? As somebody that's kind of like that number 10 role that can facilitate Tammy, etc. His, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is the reason, but I'm saying that I think that the way he envisions this team is the way, one, he knows Mason Mount better than Pulisic. Let's remember, Pulisic is not a Frank Lampard transfer. Right. Frank Lampard did not bring Christian Pulisic in, right? But he under, he knows Mason Mount very well. 
He knows Fikayo Tamori very well. He knows Tammy Abraham very well. He obviously understands everything that William has brought to Chelsea and so on. And I think that Frank Lampard is still getting used to understanding what Christian Pulisic is all about and how he can you know, utilize him. And he says it in his answer right here, needed to stay strong in the midfield. I don't think about Christian Pulisic as a central force as much as I think of him as somebody that comes from the width and penetrates centrally and, you know, creates a lot of commotion to the back line of whatever opponent they're playing. Having said all that, to not play zero, to not play any minute, that to me is very surprising because I think that he could have really given something, you know, specific um, in that, you know, latter part of that game because he is exactly that kind of player. You know, in a, in a way, it's very Robin-esque. You know, he likes right. to come from the outside, cut in and completely disrupt, you know, the back line. I think Chelsea could have used that. And I thought Christian Pulisic played well against Liverpool already this season, not right. long ago in the UEFA Super Cup and, and was really effective in that game. And so I look at it right now and based on performance and what we've seen on the field, I have no issue with Mason Mount playing. He scored three goals on the season, a very player. promising young player. Willian, on the other hand, hasn't brought as much to the table. And obviously he's uh, much more of a veteran player. But I'm not seeing as much from him. And obviously, Pedro's in the mix. Hudson Odoi is coming back in. Uh, and, and Christian Pulisic's a pro, right? So, like, he knows sort of what he needs to do to put himself in a position to play um, to get starts again. And um, we'll see how long this uh, playing drought continues. I would have to think he's going to come back on the field at some point. Here I soon. just think it, it's fine if you want to start William. It's fine if you want to start Pedro. But for them to just rely on them, I mean, looking at, you know, the early stages of 30 years old for 90 minutes or the majority of the time. And then, I mean, he was thinking more defensively with his substitutions in this one, or at least from a fullback perspective. But, you know, let's be optimistic. I guess if you're a U.S. men's national team fan and you're an American, he says his time will come. Let's see if that time eventually does come. We'll wait and see. I mean, is it bad that already I'm starting to think about, oh, well, Kevin De Bruyne and Mohamed Salah and Juan Cuadrado also were deemed failures at Chelsea, and look where they are these days. <laughs> Is it bad that I'm already thinking in these terms? Yeah, a little bit okay. negative, but it's okay. <laughs> but Chelsea has a league game next, right? Is that right? So I think you will. if you don't see Pulisic in that league game, wow, then we have some problems. I could be wrong. Uh, let me just check here the... Uh, Chelsea. Yep, Grimsby Town. At home to Grimsby Town. So we, Carabao Cup. League Cup. We better see Christian Pulisic at least there, right? Man. <laughs> so let's move on to 8 nothing. Man City beating Watford 5 nothing after 18 minutes. Um, fascinating to me in the sense of just how good City was, how awful Watford was, and part of me that thinks as good as Liverpool is, I don't see them... I couldn't see them doing something like this to Watford or like an eight nothing type thing, right? Yes, I listen. Uh, what, when this game started, there was no way in my in my mind that I was saying this is going to be eight nothing. Right. I don't. I don't. Partly because I have a lot of respect and trust, and I'm not a Watford fan. In Kike Sanchez Flores, I think that he's a smart manager who already understood the squad. Um, but then the other side would be, well, I mean, I didn't have a doubt that Man City was going to win. To make it 8 nothing in that way 
was incredible. But there are a few things to note. One, this Watford team is a mess. <laughs> they really are bad, aren't they? It, Especially a, defensively. It's a mess. Um, I, they, they have a lot of really great, talented players, um, as we saw against Arsenal in the previous weekend. Yeah, they tied Arsenal. Right? So there was, a, you know, obviously the euphoria of Kike Sanchez Flores, you know, coming back, being at home, I guess, probably helped. Pereira is a very good player for them. Going to the Etihad is never going to be easy for anyone let alone, you know, if you're Watford. But you knew that Man City and Pep Guardiola went in there remembering the Norwich game. Sure. And they wanted to, you know, make sure that they took care of business. Having said all that, Kevin De Bruyne, who is just outstanding and his crosses were beyond magical and his vision, etc. He got his goal in the end. We did give him... Not we. Watford did give him a lot of time on the ball, specifically in crosses. I don't think so. Defensively, they're an absolute mess. I don't care if you're a Man City or if you're a you know League Two team. You cannot afford to give these opponents that much amount of time. And then once the first goal came in, that was so early. And then the next one, then it was just a snowball that just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And Bernardo Silva, by the way, loves these kind of matches. He's going to punish you if you're not going to take care of him and try and man mark him. He's just going to be all over the place. He was absolutely fantastic. The thing about De Bruyne is he has this ability to hit this kind of menacing cross that is very driven, but also has a bend to it, but it, it just it finds a way to just go perfectly over who it needs to get over, and then usually to the far side of the goal, right onto somebody's foot. You know who did that really well? Who's that? David Beckham. And yeah. It's very Beckham-esque, and it's very Riquelme-esque, but I agree with you. I think the Bruyne has this, like, it's not just the accuracy, it's the pace of it that you yeah. just can't... You can't escape. And the keeper can't get it either. Absolutely. So, you know, it's tremendous. I mean, listen, Man City had 28 shots. Right. 11 on target, which is kind of crazy, right? 70% possession. This was Man City all over over Watford. So, watching De Bruyne in this game, I went to my book, to my chapter on Roberto Martinez, and there was a long quote that he had given me when I asked him about Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. Quote, this is Roberto Martinez. Kevin is such an intelligent footballer. His technical ability is special, but I think it's more the capacity for him to understand football and footballing concepts. When you see him on the pitch, it's always the perfect pass, always the right decision, always the execution of what he tries to do that is impressive. He's had a big challenge at Manchester City when a new manager comes in with such clear ideas like Pep Guardiola, and straight away he picks those up. His football intelligence is quite remarkable, and when you've got players like that, it's very easy to fit into a team. Beautiful. And, you know, the only thing that I would add to all of that is that he sees what he wants to do before anyone else by a good four seconds. Like, he already knows what his next play is going to be. He is a tremendous talent, and if you're a Premier League fan, forget Man City. We're very lucky to see him play. He's excellent. And he's healthy. Yeah. And and I hope he stays healthy this season because he wasn't last season. I would also say this, and and I am curious. I'm going to press you on this one. I don't think Liverpool, this Liverpool would do an 8 nothing like this. I think this is very much a Man City, Guardiola type situation and I think as a neutral okay that the highest heights the best football the 
like like I think City that is City. Yeah. I don't think they're gonna necessarily win the title this year. They may not. They're five points back right now, but I do think their ceiling is higher than Liverpool. Which is why maybe Jurgen Klopp says things like Man City is the best, you know, club on team in the world. Listen, when the Pep Guardiola system works, yeah. it's unstoppable to the point of ain't nothing. Yes, it what it was playing the right now the worst team in the league. But like you said, you will not see that anywhere else. Anywhere else. And they could do that to any other team. I mean, you know, they won three nothing midweek in the Champions League, you know, so they were already thinking, right, away from home. So they came home and they did ain't nothing. When the Guardiola system works, it's just art. I would also add Ferrandino getting the start in central defense. We've talked about that being a big concern with all the injuries. Um, Laporte out, Stones out. I think that's actually a blessing in disguise that Stones is out and Ferrandino goes in. So maybe that's what we'll see now moving forward with him next to Otamendi. We'll see how they do against better competition. Yeah, and listen, we talk a lot about Otamendi, but he was great in this one and, and, and midweek as well. Moving on, let's talk Spurs-Lester. Interesting game here where Harry Kane scores this kind of remarkable uh, goal. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, like, I still look, even looking at the slow-mo, can't yeah. figure out how he got his body to do that. I think I pulled my groin just yeah. watching. <laughs> I think I fell down anyway. Like, I'm not going to, let alone score. What a goal. <laughs> Unreal from Harry Kane. And so if you're a Spurs fan, you're feeling good, right? And then you go up 2 nothing so on a Serge Aurier goal. Um, and then VAR reviews it. And we've talked a lot about VAR. Um, when it comes to millimeters offside in, in these situations, and Son, they rule to be millimeters offside. They take away the goal. Um and I guess my question here is, if he actually was, if we actually knew for certain that he was a couple inches offside, I'm actually okay with that. What I am not okay with is that I, I don't see how the margin for error in the technological capabilities of measuring that, I don't think they're able to do that right now. And I think they would even admit that. Which is why I'm going to plug Arlo White's Arnold White has a pretty good idea about creating this line, right? Mm-hmm. That can help you understand this, you know, margin. Because that was a ridiculously small margin. So small, in fact, that you also even question, well, when the camera freezes in itself to give you the image of the, you know, supposed offside, is it already a distorted image, right? Are you already conflicted by that? And I will say one more thing which uh, World Soccer Talk did bring it up on a tweet this weekend, which is a really good point. La Liga has a 360 example of it, right? Where you can see it, you see it from one angle, then the camera keeps rotating, and so you can completely see if they're offside. So there's something to be thought about that. And one last thing, I think this should be like baseball. Like the advantage should go to the offensive player. Like, come on, like that margin is just, so there's nothing wrong with VR itself. But the rule itself needs to be rectified. I just that that was just a ridiculous. It's it's just I just think the advantage should go to the offensive player in that situation. Well, here's what I would like to see NBC do because I think NBC does a terrific job generally. Yeah, I really want to see them do like a really in depth um, story where they explain to us exactly who and what machines are being used to come up with this image that we see a behind the scenes i like it 
and because they've actually, I, they've talked about people on NBC about how well we got the tour and we were over there and they showed us how it was done. But I actually want to know process-wise exactly how this offside image is is produced because you know is the is the human there actually having to look and see when they think the pass is hit and freeze it right there how much margin for error is there on that aspect of what you the image you're producing and then how does like the because there are machines as part of this process that give us those lines that are just fractions of a you know an inch on the on the screen but like what machine is it that's doing that what are they using it to process with like how how are they just let us know because like games turn on this and spurs i honestly think gets three points from this game yeah well, it's, if absolutely. that goal is is not taken away yeah, i like that idea how do you come to that situation nbc and telemundo to do this kind of like you know this the transparency of the story right I just, I just like to know how. Absolutely, but and even beyond that, like we need to understand. Like I just, I just think the advantage needs to go to the offensive player. Listen, I don't want to take anything away from Leicester City, by the way, a team that we've been talking about from the beginning of the season, saying yeah. they're gonna be to be reckoned with, and they played great. But that goal should have stood. It should have been two nothing, and who knows what would have happened. I would also add James Madison is a stud. Oh my God, he is incredible. And <laughs> you know, twenty two years old. Gets played higher up the field in a number 10 spot by Brendan Rodgers in this game and loved a lot of what he did, not just his goal, but the danger that he created throughout. But the goal was fantastic. This is the game-winning goal. Uh, Chowdhury gives him a wonderful early ball after just coming on himself and just the go-for-broke energy of Madison to put himself, he knew exactly what he wanted to do, didn't have a ton of space, but still did it. He was absolutely amazing. Amazing. I mean, listen, Leicester City better get a, a good, you know, top six at least if they want to keep him because I think there's going to be a lot of offers for him. He met Jay-Z last week. I think that, you know, it just amped him up, I think. Did Jay-Z have any idea who he was? <laughs> I think in the photo he had no idea. <laughs> Let's move on to Manchester United. Losing 2 nothing to West Ham United. Marcus Rashford injured in this game. We're recording this on late Monday morning, New York Times, so we don't know exactly how long he might be out, but obviously concerning. I remember even before the start of this season, SI Video had you on, they had me on to talk stuff, and one of their questions was, who's going to score goals for Manchester United? And I was like, oh, well, you know, Rashford and Martial, but, you know, so as long as they don't have any injuries, well, now they're both injured. Yep. They that, got other injuries. Lukaku's gone, Alexis Sanchez is gone. I mean, they have nothing. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous, but this goes to the fault, and this is something that we talked about with Miguel Delaney, about, you know, United needs, you know, a director right now to really understand not just the present, but the future. But talking about this game, right? West Ham is a good team. So it's not like this is a lucky thing. Like West Ham is a good team. They know how to play. It was at home. They wanted to take over one. But the Rashford injury, where are these goals going to come from? And as you said, we don't know the extent of the injury right now, but you really are, this team is really in trouble. And there's really no, like, there's just not much attacking threat right now from United. This game was just god-awful yeah, if you're a United fan. Absolutely. West Ham completely dominated, and we knew that what they were going to bring um, under Pellegrini, and you, you could see it. You could see 
that this t- this game was not. Gabbard Cotty called it, by the way. He said two nothing to West Ham. Wow. So nice word. Hey. <laughs> Maybe he was a little lucky. I don't know. Whatever, Gab. But uh, no, I think Manchester United fans should worry, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens, especially as you know the season gets busier and more packed. And now, you know, I hope the best for Marcus Rashford. But if he's gone for a long extended time. This is really, really a worrying sign. There was an interesting stat somebody put out uh, over the weekend just about uh, Man United's winning percentage post-PSG, post-making uh, Solskjaer permanent uh, manager. was it? Terrible. <laughs> like It was like 73% winning percentage for, for Solskjaer before that. He gets the full-time job. It's like 27% winning percentage. They're just not a good team. Um and they're not really even that close to being a good team. No. And we listen, we talked about this. I think that that sort of knee-jerk reaction to hiring Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a permanent manager during that moment was a mistake. I think I think Pochettino would have seriously thought about United. I don't know. I don't know that. What I do know is that now you're beginning to see, listen, how how long is this leash for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? How's it going to last? And now without any attacking threat, you know, what's going to happen as the season goes on? Why not poach now? Why not? I don't think he's too happy at Spurs. Well, absolutely. <laughs> he said it himself in preseason. <laughs> Let's move on to the continent where other teams are in surprisingly woeful circumstances. Barcelona losing 2 nothing to Granada. Another team that really didn't show much at all going forward uh, in this game. Barcelona's fewest league points after this many games since, I think, the 94-95 season. Ernesto Valverde in real trouble now. Now, they had gotten a a decent result midweek to get a point at Dortmund in Champions League. Messi had come back finally to play in the second half of that game. He comes back in the second half of this game. Could not save anything in this one. And he's not the only problem that Barcelona's got, him not being around. But the question and the point remains, how are they when Lionel Messi's not there? That's, you know, that, we've talked about the fact that this is a, an aging Lionel Messi who's only getting older, who's only going to get more injury prone. He is, you know, we already know how, how high we think of him. But, you know, time is running out for Ernesto Valverde. And I'm not, I, you know what, I'm not fully blaming Ernesto Valverde. I think some players need to really wake up and see what's going on, specifically offensively. You brought in Antoine Griezmann. Like what's happening, right? All this, you know, all this great talk about all the other players. Lucho Suarez is coming back from injury, and Ansu Fati's, you know, gaining headlines. De Jong, one of the most, you know, acclaimed center midfielders in the world right now. You know, this is no excuse to lose like that. This is, you know, meant to be a team that is not just meant to be competing, you know, for La Liga, but also the Champions League. So time is running out. And to be honest with you, whenever I talk to Barcelona fans. They have never been completely fully in with Ernesto Valverde. So they're just waiting for an excuse to make sure that he's out. And I, I give him, I give him a, a two more matches and then, you know, let's see what happens. But I, I don't give him that much time. And I'm not, it's not to say that that's fully his fault. I just think that the pressure both from the team not performing and fans already not really always fully in with him. I mean, Xavi's just waiting in the corner. I mean, this is my question for you, and and I'm I'm laughing that you brought that up because we hadn't even prepared this, but like... That's how we sink, man. Xavi is at Al Saad Mm. now. He retired as a player last spring. 
He's now Al-Sadd's coach in Qatar, obviously different league, different level. Is that potentially going to be viewed by Barcelona brass as his Barcelona B? Like coaching pro at some Qatari team, even though that's like one of the best teams in Qatar for what that's worth. Like, could would they go so far as to actually seriously consider bringing in Xavi as the Barcelona senior team head coach? Absolutely. I always think of Barcelona as a, a, a purist club slash so obsessed with its own history that, you know, somebody like Xavi, who is so highly acclaimed, who is an incredible football brain and understands, you know, what it takes to manage a team. I don't know yet if he understands or, you know, fully understands the logistics of like going into Barcelona fully, but absolutely. I think that there will be some kind of, you know, thinking that, like you said, you know, being in Qatar is kind of the pre-warm-up, the, the dress rehearsal or, for what's to come. Or do they bring him in as an assistant to somebody else uh, or as the Barcelona B coach next? He will come in at some point. I, 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 he has to because, I mean, like one of the greatest interviews I've ever had in my career was sitting down with Xavi for a Sports Illustrated magazine story back in, I think it was like 2012, right around there. Um, and I just came away being so uh, just taken by his de devotion to what it meant, the Barcelona identity. Yeah. And he really does, he sp spoke about it in these terms. He felt like they were sort of, those teams were fighting for the soul of football. Yeah. It, that's literally how he talked about it because that was especially when Mourinho was around uh, with Real Madrid and, and, you know, and obviously a different type of style, almost an anti-style to what Barcelona was doing in those days. And there's nobody out there who feels more strongly about the Barcelona identity than Xavi. Absolutely. Except maybe Pep Guardiola. Listen, at the risk of self-plugging too, like Sergio Busquets said the same thing to me. That they think about this club like a cathedral and yeah. a school. And they should. I mean, La Masia is obviously known for so much. But... I have no doubt in my mind that at some point Xavi will return to the Barcelona system, whether it's you know the youth academy or like whatever, and then eventually become the manager. I just think whatever happens after Ernesto Valverde, the next manager, I I promise you, I really believe that it will be somebody that knows and understands the trade of Barcelona more than just you know being a fan. And Xavi obviously serves that. Real Madrid, big challenge. Good win. Going on the road to Sevilla. Uh, Sevilla had a chance to go top of the league, uh, one nothing. Kareem Benzema, underrated striker. Hey, like what we talked about last week. <laughs> Again, he just scores. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> stop scoring. No, listen, this was a, a a good win. It was a good win. Sevilla is on the roll. Julian Lopetegui. I don't care what he says. He's obviously using it as a motivation against his former club, uh, away from home, hostile environment. You know, just lost uh, disastrous, disastrously in the Champions League to PSG. Sudan needs an answer, and they got it. They got the result, and it's a, and it's a good, strong win. And now, you know, they're joint at the top because right now La Liga is kind of uh, anybody's game, to be honest. I mean, yes, it's still early, but it was a good win for Real Madrid for sure. Um, in Italy, Derby in Milan, Inter beats Milan. Inter still perfect in the league. Well, your pick is still good. That is true. We did it. I, I will say this. My actual pick was that the same teams that won all the major leagues last year were going to win again this year. But I we did ask each other 
if there was one team in Italy that was going to give Juventus a run for it, I said Inter, you said Napoli. Yeah. Um, a lot of league left, obviously. But they're uh, looking good. Inter's but they are. Looking good. They are. Um, not after not looking good midweek in Champions right. League, and you know it was funny because. There had been reports of, oh, there's a bust-up between Brozovic and Lukaku, and this became a big media thing after the the midweek tie at home uh, and in Champions League. And here's the thing that media should know better and fans at this point should know better. Stuff like this happens all the freaking time all in locker rooms. All the time. And so, like, yes, occasionally it gets out but it doesn't mean the team is melting down. And it also lasts for a day, and right. then they get on with it. And that's like, think about your workplace. Yeah, you, well, you hold like, a grudge forever? Like, no. Like, but you, don't well, you love, might. But. You, you also don't love everyone at your workplace, and sometimes uh, you know, there's like conflict, yeah. but like- What are you saying, Greg? That's- <laughs> were, you, that's <laughs> were you forced to have me here? <laughs> but that is every workplace, <laughs> and it gets fixed, and it's not that big a deal, but obviously the, this gets so much attention. Um, and- you know, Inter pretty clear winners in this one against AC Milan. The Lukaku, you know, Lautaro Martinez looking good. You know, yeah. the, Antonio Conte, like you said, like you've always said, and I agree, Antonio Conte is a great manager. Oh, He's yeah. a great, great soccer brain. So I, I'm not surprised. AC Milan, by the way, were a mess. I'm um, concerned about, like, this, their, like, general malaise. Yeah, it's there. sad. <laughs> it's sad because, you know... Uh, the nostalgia, you know, we talk about this all the time about the nostalgia of, you know, Serie A in the 90s and AC Milan and, you know, the George Ware days. And, you know, it's just hopefully there'll be an identity. I mean, Gattuso obviously tried to, 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 I don't know, revitalize it, so to speak, but they were definitely a mess in this one. I mean, Inter Milan, you know, they took their chances and it could have been more, to be honest. There were so many situations where it could be three, four, nothing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Interstate is perfect. Juve gets a sort of unimpressive win uh, to keep pace. Um, but you know, Italy's interesting this season, and and Inter may be the most interesting team to me right now. Uh, yeah, at least in that league. Special mention to Fernando Llorente, who scored a brace this weekend. The man, you can put him anywhere; he will score. He's, he's in Napoli, by the way. Now, everyone, like it's you know, this is against Lecce, four-one win. Llorente uh, goes from. Super sub status at Spurs to scoring goals again. Just love it at Napoli. He's like I can't imagine he's like I. If you had told me like in 2012 that in 2019 Fernando Llorente would still be like scoring goals for big ish teams, I would I would not have believed that. And we can come back in 10 years and I'll still be Moving on to the last section of the podcast on the game in the United States. Uh, we're in the home stretch here in uh, the MLS regular season, and a couple of things I want to point out here. We've got only one team in the MLS West has actually clinched a playoff berth. That's LAFC, which is running away away with it. But like, it's so bunched up in the rest of the West that nobody else has even clinched a playoff berth yet, which is crazy. You would think this would be exciting, and I guess it sort of is. But I'm actually more just underwhelmed by all the other teams in the West. This is always the problem, right? Which we always talk about. If you don't make the playoffs, there is something wrong. Uh, too many teams make the MLS playoffs, man. It's up to seven in each conference this I mean, year. Fourteen ridiculous. teams will make the playoffs. And the whole idea is, 
you know, we're going to create all these playoffs and it's going to be ex- or these playoff spots and it's going to be exciting. But I actually don't know how exciting this is. I just kind of like I look at this right now. Soccer America makes a good point here. The seven teams around the two playoff lines have one win in their last 21 games. It's just not good enough. I mean, listen, I know that, you know, we sometimes uh, push away from the conversation, but, you know, the pro-rel conversation, I don't I don't know what needs to happen. But when you have seven teams that make the playoffs, and if you don't make the playoffs, there's almost no, like, accountability for the next season. And it's not just about bringing aging superstars and even, you know, the last few years, South and Central American talent, which does help and strengthen the league. There needs to be an overall look about what's happening here. You can't, you cannot be, it cannot be this easy for it to make the playoffs and like you said, have like that kind of a negative, you know, um, statistical, you know, record. It's crazy. Yeah. uh, Six teams now have uh, clinched a playoff spot in the East. So the last one's being fought over by uh, New England, Chicago. I think Orlando's out of it basically at this point. Montreal is still involved, I guess. I in Montreal's but like, involved. <laughs> I know, I know. Like that this is what it comes down to for me. MLS has fourteen teams make the playoffs and it just needs to be fewer. Yep. Reduce it's, the it's, number. It's that it, simple. If there's not gonna be like pro rel conversation, it, reduce the number. It can't be seven. It just cannot be. It's awful. Um in terms of a big injury here, Joseph Martinez had scored in 15 straight games. His streak ends, unfortunately, but he also picks up an injury. And much like Marcus Rashford, we're still sort of waiting here on Monday for how serious that might be. Taylor Twellman tweeted that it could be a matter of weeks, not months. Uh, the big question, obviously, for Martinez is, is he going to be available for the playoffs? Yeah, I have Felipe Cardenas as well here from The Athletic, you know, you know, updating us as well. And as Grant said, you know, we're, we're doing this on a Monday morning from New York, so we don't know what's going to happen. But I think apparently w- the swelling needs to go down a little bit to fully assess what's going on. It's day to day. Frank DeBoer has said that, you know, it, it's still early. You know, he's in a lot of pain. Uh, maybe, I mean, I, I would imagine that regular season done. It's more about what happens in the playoffs, I guess. But, you know, good news for Atlanta United, Ezekiel Varco is back to training. So, you know, that's that's good news. But, yeah, sad sad for Joseph, but hopefully, you know, they'll see him in, in the playoffs. Yeah, and also, too, it puts a little bit of a damper on the midweek game between NYCFC and Atlanta right. here in New York that a lot of us were looking forward to and still am to some extent. But uh, you want to have teams be as close to full strength as possible there. Obviously, both those teams have clinched the playoff uh, berth. Two, two best teams in the East. Yeah, yeah should be a good game. Should I'm still looking game. forward to yeah. it. Um, meanwhile, Sam Kerr scores two more goals for the Chicago Red Stars. They win. They are in the playoffs in the NWSL. And we've, we've started to develop a pattern here, my friend, where we have a video guest, an interview guest, on our Planet Football TV show on Thursday. And then after that, they go on to do amazing things. So it's the opposite of the Sports Illustrated curse yeah. on the magazine cover. They come on our show, and then they do amazing things the following game. See, now, Sam Kerr did it this week after giving us a very nice interview. And Jesse Marsh, the week before, uh, had gone come on the show for uh, a fascinating interview. And then his Red Bull Salzburg team went on to win 6-2 to two in Champions League. Um, we should have had him this week for next week against Liverpool, <laughs> right? <laughs> and the other thing I will tell you is, can we just get the entire Aston Villa team just on <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, we are the good luck charm. I would also suggest if you get a chance, check out our our show. It's a weekly soccer show, Planet Football TV. Um, easy to find online. Uh, go to the si.com soccer page for the full episode. But we've had some really good interview guests, not just Sam Kerr and Jesse Marsh, but also John Thorrington last week, Miguel Delaney, Pierluigi Colina, Dome Torrent, Greg Burhalter, Arlo White, Carly Lloyd, just a few of the names we've had. It's free. And it's free now, free globally. So uh, much like this podcast, um, it's something that we really enjoy doing. And uh, if we aren't sick of each other as co-hosts yet, then I don't think we ever will be. No, it's not going to happen. We're just going to keep riding that wave. Lightning round. Let's hit a couple of things here at the end of this podcast. Neymar does it again. Second, second straight league game that Neymar scores a late goal to give PSG the win, this time against Lyon. Decent team, Lyon. And you already heard my theory on this. I think this storyline about Neymar being hated by the PSG fans is going to go away much quicker than anyone thinks yeah. and stuff like this makes that happen 1000% the sports fan is a very fickle animal like it's not going to you know you win you win games you'll be forgotten but this goal again was another beauty yeah you know but there's never been any denial in his talents Neymar is amazing I'm so nostalgic. I go back to his Santos days and the things that he would do there. It's just about his character. So hopefully, you know, it's a new page for him, et cetera. But like you said, you know, win games and PSG Ultras will forget about it. Michael Parkhurst announcing he's going to retire at the end of the MLS season. 35 years old. Great player. Really exemplary career and a guy who never had a ton of time with the national team, but to some extent, I think that's caused people to maybe underrate him, kind of criminally underrated yeah. over the years. A guy who has had so has just committed so few fouls, earned so few yellow cards. He's one of those guys who's always in the right position, and he's a leader. Yeah, and, he's and we're a real miss leader. Him. Yeah, yeah. So you know, the best to you, Michael. And then uh, this is happening a couple hours after we record this on Monday. The FIFA Best Awards uh, are happening this afternoon in Milan. Um, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino are up for the Women's World Player of the Year Award. I expect Rapino will get that. but She should win it, yeah. Uh, I'm also looking forward to, one, what she's going to wear because she's a big fashion hound. I think she's going to live it up. But I also think she could end up saying some interesting stuff if FIFA allows her to in her speech. That will be interesting. I wonder if it was edited before, but I don't think that would stop Megan regardless. And uh, you know, on the men's side, you got the same three finalists for the UEFA Men's uh, Player Award, so that's... Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Virgil van Dijk. I expect, as with the UEFA award, that van Dijk will win. It should be Messi, though. Come but on. but let me say this. Okay. I This is the first year. I'm actually a voter. Uh, FIFA okay. no longer hates me, apparently, <laughs> and invited me to be the, the U.S. journalist voter for the men's award, so the, the player and coach. Can you tell us who you voted? Yeah, I think so. I don't think anyone's going to come after me. I voted for Messi. I voted Messi. See? That's van why Dijk, we get on. And uh, and then third, Ronaldo. Yeah, let's um, not get totally into it, but well done. <laughs> you can't score 50 goals and then not like you know get called for best player in the world. Virgil van Dijk is an amazing defender. I, I think it's important to say because I think people misread so much of this stuff. Van Dijk had an amazing season. Fantastic Incredible. season. Incredible. Nor is this a, a vote of who you think is the better player. It's who had a better season. 
And I still think that Lionel Messi had the best season. And I also think that Messi is measured by a different standard than anybody else because he's been so good for so long. And that should not be the standard that is used. He was fifth in the voting last year, which it's is just embarrassing. It's, it's criminal. So um, I will say this, though, these individual awards on the game that's meant to be. I mean, Rory Smith wrote a nice little piece for the New York Times about it. I mean, obviously, we want to give accolades and everything, but, we, you know, this is the team's game, and sometimes it can get... I mean, I will say this, though. I do think that these awards are great because they also amplify and celebrate the women's game. It's just another example to, you know, at least celebrate it. Now, obviously, FIFA has to do a lot more than just an award show, but it's still good to see at least once again that we'll see somebody like Megan Rapinoe and, you know, uh, the other female players, uh, you know, be recognized on, on, on a global stage. So let's wrap this up here. I'm going to ask you guys, send us some questions. We want to have that be part of our show every week. We actually set up an email account to send questions to. It's called... Planet Football Podcast at gmail.com. Planet so. Football Podcast at gmail.com. That's a good one. And the football, obviously, F U T B O L. Yeah, come Planet on, Football Podcast at gmail.com. Ask us some questions, ask us some thoughtful questions, and we will get you in next week's show. Also, again, check out this podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Because we also come out on Thursdays with an interview of somebody interesting in the soccer world. We're out every Monday for your drive time commute to talk about the weekend that just was. Check out our video show, Planet Football TV, coming out Thursday night, always out on Friday. Uh, really proud of what we're doing with these shows and, and would love for you to check them out and recommend them to your friends. That would be lovely. Good talking to you, my friend. You too. Have a great week, guys. 